Several years ago, Kim and I were in New York City, and it's been quite a while. I think it maybe was our, my first trip anyway to New York City, and uh, never thought I would go back, uh, never thought I would want to go back or need to go back. It's a big city, and it's full of traffic, but it's a fascinating city. And so we went back, of course, and on this particular trip, we found ourselves walking around and ended up at Battery. The Battery is what it's called, I think, and I've always referred to it as Battery Park. It's where you can go look across the bay, see the Statue of Liberty. It's a pretty phenomenal place. Well, as we were entering that area, there were street vendors lined up on, along the curb and selling all kinds of things. And so I thought I would stop and have a look. And sure enough, I found something. I thought, Kim, I gotta have this. It was a Rolex watch. This is the only way, I'm, it was 50 bucks. He probably stole it, I'm going through my head, you know, he probably stole it, you know, and, and then I bought it, got the little bubble on it, oh, this, this, is, this is amazing. So then I started trying to turn this little dial over here and it didn't go anywhere. The second hand on this watch is still where it was 10 years ago. It's never worked, never. But I could put it on my wrist and I could, people, a lot of people think, he's got a Rolex on. But it's not a Rolex. I don't know what it is, but it's a fake whatever it is. <laughs> and it reminded me of the things we sometimes do, thinking that if we'll do that, we can impress people. We can pretend to be something we're not. And I suppose if I wore this, I could pretend to be well off. <laughs> you know, it's like, That's gonna do that, really? That's all it's going to take? I'm not that insecure, but I did buy it for a joke and I knew it wasn't gonna work the minute I had it, but I wanna to talk to you about that today. It's a story in Genesis, it's a lengthy story. I tried to read through the entire thing in the chapel and it just takes too long, so I'm going to read as, uh, as we go a little bit of the, to get, give you the, a gist of a very long story to give you the idea. Today, the question that God is asking, we'll read, what is your name? What is your name? Names are important. When I was born, a mom named me after a, a local a radio announcer, uh, Marty Krant. Martin Krant was his name. I don't know why. I, I couldn't tell what I had for lunch yesterday, but I can remember that. Somewhere back in time, I learned that I was named after that guy that we would hear on the radio. Then my brother, uh, Joey, came along, and they named him Joel. He's Dr. Joel now. I, I call him Dr. J, of course, or anything I can. I call him all kinds of things, but uh, most of those I can't repeat. So, um, and he's got quite a, a litany of things for me, too. So don't ask him any questions about what I was like growing up. But they named Joey after Joel, who was, a, I think, a TV actor or something like that. So we got our names in that way. I'm, that's kind of how they came up with it. Martin, David, and Joel, Stephen. We found out years later something that we really didn't know, and I'm not real sure if it's exactly the case or if it's just a family joke that we've enjoyed being able to tell people. But my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Grubbs, was named J.D. Some of you have heard this uh, many years ago, last time I said it. But I want everyone to know the gene pool from which I've come. I, I want you to see the, the depth of it. So Grandpa was named J.D. and he had a brother named J.C. And I found out they were triplets. There were three of them. One died uh, at birth and the other two uh, uh, survived and have lived, lived healthy lives until the Lord took them home. 
But we assume that the first triplet that passed was probably JB. And so there's JB and JC and JD. Uh, um, so I'm thrilled I got Marty, you know. <laughs> it's like, wow. And I love JD Grubbs. He was my grandfather. We didn't get to see him often. They were in South Carolina and we were in Ohio. But it was always fun to go see my grandpa, grandma Grubbs. My mom's parents, the other grandparents, lived in middle to just south of Dayton. So anyway, it was a great fun with our grandparents. Grandparents are wonderful things until they get their nose in their kids' business as adults. And then we become, well, never mind, we just become annoying. So our question today, what is your name? It's important in the Bible. Names are very important. They had specific meaning to them, not just somebody on the radio or television. In biblical times, names had more meaning than we do today, of course. When the angel appeared to Mary and announced her pregnancy, an angel in Luke 1 told Mary the baby's name is going to be Jesus. In Matthew 1, the angel told Joseph that he was to give him the name Jesus because Jesus comes out of the word Joshua and means the Lord saves. So a very appropriate name for this child Mary was carrying. So our question today comes from the book of Genesis. The story begins in chapter 25. Isaac, and I'm going to paraphrase it so we can just get through it. I encourage you to read the six chap five or six chapters. It's a great read and it'll fill in more blanks for you. But we'll hit the high points. So uh, the book of Genesis. 20 years go by and Rebecca wanted to have children. Isaac pleads with God to give her a child, and God answered that prayer. She became pregnant with twins. Verse 22 of chapter 25 says that the two children struggled with each other in the womb. So apparently these were two bad boys on their way, they were on their way, because they, they, they must have really got after it in her, in her belly, you know, and caused kicking and all that like babies do when, when you're uh, getting ready to have a child. So God uh, gave, they, they pray that God would give them a child, and God answered the prayer. She became pregnant with the twins and they struggled in the womb. When the boys were born, the first one came out of the womb, was, as the description is he was red, or I don't know if that was red hair, and very hairy, and then they named him Esau, meaning hairy. The, the other boy was born holding onto Esau's heel. So they, they probably had been arguing, they started early. And it was kind of like Esau was, uh, Jacob was saying, you know, uh, Esau, I, you, I'm going with you. You're not going to be the first one. I'm going with you. Well, anyway, he came out and he was holding, holding the heel of his brother. And that name they gave him Esau. It means to grasp the heel, but it also has another meaning. They couldn't have known because it also means he deceives. And Esau would live up to that description. Boys grew up, Esau, the firstborn red and hairy one, became very skillful hunter, very skillful. His father Isaac loved him, and as you'll see, loved him probably a little more, or certainly more, than he did Jacob. And Esau would bring a great, he would go on these great hunts and bring home wild game and he would cook and, and bring it to his father. His father loved the food that Esau would go out 
and bring home. And then Jacob would be the one who would cook it. Esau loved to be out in the fields hunting. Jacob liked being in the kitchen. So Jacob was, he liked to cook whatever his brother brought home. So as Isaac favored Esau, we find that Rebekah, their mother, favored Jacob. It's gonna come out really clear here. The favoritism would play out in significant and unfortunate ways. So Jacob felt inferior from day one. Big brother, you beat me out of the womb, but not by much. The firstborn child was always blessed in ways the other children weren't. It was custom in those days. So Jacob found ways to steal the firstborn rights from his older brother. And it starts when Esau returns to the house after a hunt and Jacob's in the kitchen cooking and the text says that Esau walked in exhausted and hungry and he asked his brother, Jacob, to give him some of that stew that he's making because he's just famished, been hunting all day at least, maybe two days. Please give me some, I am starving. Please give me some food, I'm starving. And Esau decided, well, I'll give you food if you'll give me your birthright. And thus begins the, the glimpse of what this, how this is gonna roll. And Esau replies, look, I'm starving to death. What good is my birthright to me now? And Jacob persisted and finally Esau swore on an oath and he gave all of his rights as the firstborn son to his barely younger brother in a very weak moment, and Esau compromises, and he does something he will later regret. So Jacob has succeeded in stealing the birthright of his brother, but he's not finished yet, not yet. As the older son, Esau would also receive his father's blessing that was customary in the Bible. The older son always wanted the blessing, would get the blessing of the father, that was customary. It's, it, you can kind of go back to the, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells up in the New Testament. The older brother was furious when the younger brother came back. The younger brother asked for his share of the estate and, and the dad gave it to him. And so he takes off running. And of course, you know, if you've read that story, as uh, most people have read it, you can almost not walk by a Bible and not know that story. And so it's a great story. And the younger son goes away and he squanders the money, finds himself uh, feeding pigs and being so hungry he wanted to eat their food too. And he makes his way back to the home where he had grown up. He makes his way back to the, the, the house and says while he's a long way off, the father saw him, ran toward him, hugged him, welcomed him home, celebrated. But the older, older brother, see the older brother would, all, would get a double portion. So whatever, whatever they gave the younger brother, it was only a third of the estate basically. That would be that, how that math would work. A third of the estate went to the younger brother so he could take off and go on his way. He comes home broke with nothing. That's why the younger brother says, I'll, I'll, I'll serve in the farm. I'll live out in the barracks with the farm hands. I'll, I, I'll do anything. I just want to have a job here. You don't need to treat me as a son. You don't need to bring me into the house. But of course, the father would not have that. And then older brother, that older brother, who's already entitled to two-thirds or everything that's left, basically. And the father would say that, everything I have is yours. He would say that to the older brother. It's the same tradition. The older brother got a blessing as the oldest brother. That's another sermon in and of itself. So, as the older son, Esau would receive his father's blessing before the father died. Chapter 27 starts saying that Isaac was now old, nearly blind, and he believed he would soon die, and it was time to give his blessing to his oldest son, which would be Esau. 
But Rebecca, I'll start referring to as mama, because she's gonna earn that title here in a minute. But Rebecca overheard the conversation. And when Esau wasn't around, he was out hunting, so she took advantage of Isaac's blindness. He was, near, he was blind, he knew the end of his life was coming, wanted to give the blessing to his oldest son. She sent Jacob into his father's room pretending to be Esau. He put on some of Esau's clothes and, and mama made sure that he had some goat uh, skin on his hands. So the dad, cause Jacob or uh, Esau, you know, was red hair and, and hairy. And, and then Esau, uh, Jacob was smooth skin. So she had to make a way that, that Isaac wouldn't know the difference. And, and if you read the story, you'll see that Isaac started asking some questions. Something didn't right here. You, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And now you, but you're not Esau. Or are you? And mom and Esau would go to great extremes to appear to their father and con him into thinking that Jacob was Esau. So he gave him the birthright. Let me read some of this in chapter 32 of Genesis. Chapter 32. This goes on for years now. Jacob uh, uh, has received the blessing dishonestly. Esau is furious. Mom again steps in and says to Jacob, you need to leave town. You need to get as far away from here as you can because your older brother is going to kill you. And that was kind of what was going to happen. That was what would be expected. Chapter 32, verse 22, during the night, Jacob has begun moving toward making restitution with his brother, making peace with his brother. Jacob finally decides, I can't pretend to be something I'm not any longer. He took two wives, two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the river with them. And after the, on, this is the journey on his way toward Isaac. They left, I'm sorry, Esau, big brother, older brother, Esau. Jacob left alone, decided he'd go be alone in the camp. And as he was alone out over, for the night, he was all by himself. And it says that a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this is when he realizes he's not wrestling with just anybody. He's wrestling with God. And God asks the question. Jacob says, bless me. And God says, well, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And God said, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, replied the man, or God. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. But then he went ahead and he blessed Jacob there. Jacob would name the place 
because they would do that a lot. They would set up memorial stones and to mark that God had done something significant there. So verse 24 to 31, we see the rest of this story. The sun was rising, this encounter that Jacob had been looking forward to or not, didn't know if he'd get killed by his older brother or what would happen, but it was that day, it was time. He had sent spies out, Jacob had to kind of see where the father was and, and, and he sent something to his older brother Esau as a peace offering to kind of begin to pave the way of apologizing. It says that after delivering the message, the messengers came back to Jacob and replied, we met your brother Esau. He is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. Then Jacob prayed, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, you told me, return to your own land, to your relatives as you promised me. I will, I will treat you kindly. It's what you said to me, God. But I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing but a walking stick. And now my household feels two large camps. You promised you'd be kind to me. So J Jacob's just eaten up with guilt. It's time to make amends. It's probably some 20 years later, at least. And, but it's time. You can't carry that lie very long. At some point in life, you will be called on by God to say, it's time for you to tell the truth about who you really are. And stop pretending to be something you're not. Try, stop pretending to be something that you think you need to be or wanna be. What's your name? Jacob, it's a wonderful story. The next morning with Jacob's hip out of joint, you can just see Jacob making his way toward Esau, limping, obviously limping because of the hip. He saw Esau coming with his 400 men, saw him coming. Then Jacob went on ahead as he approached his brother he bowed down to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. The reconciliation had finally happened. It's time to not pretend. So what's your name? Jacob has a powerful encounter with God. Wasn't sure if his life would end the next morning if his brother would come with those 400 soldiers to kill him. Would they be friends? Would they remain distant? But in this encounter, the wrestling match with God, he is forced to see who he really is. And as he wrestles with God, we're told that God struck his hip, knocked it out of joint. Because see, this would remind him in this moment that this was something he would have just enough strength to carry out, to do what was right. And Jacob has this powerful encounter He'd been trying to be someone else all of his life. He had felt inferior to his older brother as a young man, and then most likely felt tremendous guilt eventually for taking the birthright and the blessing from his older brother, Esau. Age has a way of bringing things into perspective. Age has a way I'm making you look back. It's okay to look back, just don't stay there very long. Learn from what you're thinking about. Learn from what you've been taken back to, but move on. 
God has a way of doing that. Age has a wonderful way of bringing things into perspective. God asked the question, what is your name? Not because God didn't know his name. We've seen that about every question we've dealt with. He asked the question to make Jacob face himself, to face the reality of his deception. Jacob had lived up to his name, deceiver. That second part of the name, one who deceives, he'd lived up to his name. When he approached his blind father, he said it was Esau. When he met the woman of his dreams, he didn't tell her. She asked him what his name was. He wouldn't tell her. He could never come to term with who he really is, who he really was. If, if she, if he, here he is with this woman that he's desiring to marry or to be with, and he wants to know, well, what's your name? He couldn't say it. Didn't want her to know. He might be found out. With his younger brother and 400 troops approaching him, his life of deceit was going to end. On that night alone, the encounter with God, he found out who he really is. God made him face it, who he really is. God had plans for Jacob. If you read on in Genesis, you'll see what great plans they were. But first, God knew he had to face the truth. That is never easy. When you realize the lies you've been telling no longer work. And the truth, the truth about who you really are is going to be exposed. A couple of thoughts before we close. The first thought, God will humble us. He must humble us before he uses us. God will humble us if he wants to use us. And if we want to be available to him, we need to receive whatever he has for us that will humble us. He knows what it will take. But perhaps many of us have been there. You must be humble. God must humble us before he will use us. Second observation as I read through this, there's so many lessons in this, just these few chapters. But the second thing struck me, the end of his ego was the beginning of his true identity. It's a stunning moment in Jacob's life. Look at what God did for him. Changed his name. Your name will no longer be Jacob, Genesis 32, 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob is on his way to do the right thing and God rewards him, so to speak, in that moment because life was going to change when Jacob would get honest and make amends with his brother. The sun comes up after Jacob fights with this encounter with God. The text says as he left the place of that encounter, he was limping. So you paint that picture. And then you watch them embrace. That battle is now over. The deception is now over. Truth has won. Jacob is now a walking reminder of what God can do and will do if we'll ask him. 
Isaiah 43 says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. This is what the Lord said. The one who created Jacob, don't fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I think of John chapter three, verse one. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished on us. It's first John chapter three, verse one. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So who do you think you are? What is your name? Who are you? Who are you? It's a great book I read years ago. The title alone captured my, my attention. Who are you when no one is looking? That's a hard question to answer. But chances are pretty good that all of us, me included, can remember the time that question might have been posed. And maybe for the first time you're hearing it. Maybe for the first time that one little phrase, who are you when no one is looking? Maybe this is your moment to change course, change direction. What is your name? A couple of thoughts also, I'll close with this. When you have two boys, a father, mom, dad favored the older, older son, mom favored the younger son, that's a disaster in families. I don't need to tell you that. It's a disaster. So a couple of observations just from learning about the boys and their parents. One is honesty, honesty and integrity must be the norm in families. We must tell truth. Secondly, I think it's important that we as parents know the best of each of our children and help them be strong in their faith and be strong in whatever God has called them or equipped them to do. Honesty, integrity, know the best of each child and bring that out. Number three, favoritism as parents is a tool of evil. Now, our kids, some of our kids may be more like us, some may be more like their mother. That's perfectly fine, that's normal. But it's when we start favoring one over the others. That is a recipe for disaster. Number four, help your children know who they are, their capabilities their value. And the last thing I would say is help them know what God has given them and equipped them to do and to serve. That was missing in this family system. It was missing. When Kim and I were young and we had our three kids, uh, not the same time, but uh, over a few years, <laughs> We thought we could have one approach to parenting. And if you that have children, you know, I mean, we read every, or Kim did, she read all the books on parenting. I just would say, whatever you say, you know. That's called submissive. And we thought, okay, this is it. This is the answer. This is how we're gonna discipline. This is how we're gonna raise them. And, and it felt kind of good. We've got our formula, right? Wrong. Because all three, two boys and a daughter, two sons and a daughter, all three of them were differently made by God. All three of them were wired up differently. They were unique individuals. They had different ideas about things. They had different talents and different gifts. And parents, understand that. Understand that it is our wonderful privilege 
to guide them, having a sense of maybe how God has gifted them. My oldest son Tyler was drawn to finance and business. Our daughter Kristen was drawn into ministry, went to Mid-America Christian. They put her in this track of visiting hospitals. Steve Seaton, who was one of her professors at the time, Steve is a Sunday school teacher here, one of our largest Sunday school classes. Steve came up to me one time and he said, your daughter is incredible in the hospitals. I said, she is? Oh yeah, she'll walk into any situation. She'll walk into the ER, pray with people. I said, really? We knew the heart was there, but it was Steve who spoke that into her, called it, saw it. Having each of our kids, somebody spoke words of wisdom to, to them, all three of them. Tyler in finance, which is working out really well for me. <laughs> Kristen in ministry, Cole in music and now music ministry. But it took a while for us to learn as young parents, you cannot parent with one formula. There are a few overarching things that you must do. And I think one of the most important is make sure they know who God is. Make sure they know where they came from. Make sure they know their name and what it stands for and help them live to be who God made them to be and not try to be like someone else. And that's not just for kids because I would say most, if not all adults, have spent some time in life somewhere trying to be something we're not. So it's time for truth to be told. It's time for truth to be lived out. What is your name? I'm going to close in prayer. In all of our rooms, the prayer teams will be across the front and sides of the rooms. And so whatever room you're in, if you would like to have someone pray for you as everyone's leaving the rooms, you come toward the front and uh, they'll be happy to pray with you about whatever might be on your mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of gathering and the freedom to gather today to come to church, to worship, to be inspired, to learn, to give, to share, to encourage. And Father, today, thank you for a place where we have the freedom to be who you've made us to be, that we will love each other and accept one another. We'll never go along with someone trying to be something they're not. Father, may we all know who we are. May we know our name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.